favorite thing I've ever said in my life. If... <laughs> Coming up on Verse Course Verse, if there is a band that did more in one year for music, you go ahead and tell it to me. I'll wait. That's next. I knew, you know what's funny is I knew you were going to make some sort of errors joke, but uh, welcome to Verse Chorus Verse, I am DL. Hi, Rachel's got shit in her eye. Yeah, I do. Rachel, hey. Hey. She'd rather talk about movies anyway, so this is a perfect episode for her polio mason. Rachel, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. Are you Trey Bien? I no, am, wait, what does your shirt say? It says very Bien. It's witty. It is witty. You're doing well? Yeah, very. I'm doing well. So says do, my shirt. Do you know why I'm doing well? You have 800 drinks in front of you, and you're about to talk about the best band uh, in the entire you world. You just added. With your best friend. You just add. <laughs> well. Sure. <you're> <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's actually exactly right. This snuck up. The fact that we're doing the Beatles episode already, doesn't it? Yeah. We did it a lot later last year. We're very ahead of the game this year. I, I've got to say, I've really got us uh, pumping all cylinders this year. We're really, really like we're it. kicking ass, taking names. We've still got a few episodes left to record before the finale, but we're just killing it. Mm-hmm. So we're taking care of the Beatles tonight. Do you remember last year? Can you remember that far back? This is a weird way to talk about the Beatles. Once a year, essentially. Once a year. Mm-hmm. The way that I have always studied through school and now is I study, study, study really, really hard. And then I get rid of all of that information to make space for all the new information that's coming in. So I re-listened to our episodes from last year, oh. this past week, to kind of re-remember what we talked about and the points that we hit on. And then I looked over my notes from last year as well. Oh, you even keep your notes. Yeah. A plus student right there. Yeah, I am. What if there's a all-inclusive quiz at the end of this ladies and gentlemen no foreplay here we're talking about the beatles last year we started it off we'll say their first couple albums right that's yeah please please me their second album and then of course meet the beatles Mm -hmm. i didn't listen to the episodes but i don't have the memory of a dead fish like rachel (laughs) does so (laughs) so true (laughs) we liked please please me yes we did not so much like their second album because it's regurgitated, let's play black people's music and make it popular. Yeah. And then Meet the Beatles, which is just incredible. Mm-hmm. We tended to agree on basically everything last you year. You have very good Beatles taste. Well, you know what I did is I just picked everything and said we should listen to it. <laughs> it's pretty easy to have good Beatles taste. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you are becoming a Beatles fan and be a Beatles guru a little bit oh are you starting to feel your chops like oh i can maybe get in a beatles conversation okay so i'm gonna tarantino those questions there is a gentleman that i work with who is in his early 60s he's just a little bit younger than gus um i'm gonna take a guess he really likes the beatles he knows every fact (laughs) about the beatles that there is to know every every person involved every single person Involved with the Beatles. Nerd. He is a nerd. Um, And I asked him, yeah, 1964, the Beatles. And he goes, oh, well, that was the year. And he started spouting off things. And I was like, know it, know it, know it, know it. That's an interesting fact. Know it, know it, know it. So I actually feel very smart. Proud of you. And as far as becoming a fan, of course, exposure equals love. And so. Maybe. You know, there was a little bit of me getting into this that I was wondering, one of the things that intrigued me, especially involving you, who is a liberal elitist, (laughs) I thought that there might have been some things about an old school four-man band that you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, a little dated. So we ran that risk. Somebody that enjoys music, that knows the outline of the Beatles, but hasn't deep dived, that maybe, eh, you know. I think it depends on what I deep dive into. Because you know I get on some rabbit trails of people's personal lives. Yeah. I haven't really gotten to anything super bad. Yeah, Lennon. Yet. <laughs> Lennon, <laughs> I, I can't say that. I really got to practice for live stuff. So <laughs> I can't say that. I got into a rabbit hole of, because all of the boys were married. Yeah. And I thought that that was interesting because they were these sex symbols and all these girls were 
wetting themselves over over them and nice literally okay um <laughs> i so i was just like it was interesting because literally fun fact about that <laughs> in a little bit um <laughs> sorry you know Rachel's managers are so these, red right now it's the weirdest thing shut your face <laughs> managers these days are like if you're single like younger boy bands yep. or whatever if you listen to the interviews back in these days yeah. paul will drop a like well Lennon's married and Lennon's like, what? shut the fuck up, man. Like Lennon's like, oh, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't. So there was still that yeah, yeah. sort of stuff going on. But all of them were married and all of them in their early 20s. Ringo was married to a lovely woman named Maureen. You know this fact? George Harrison yeah, oh, yeah. fell in love yeah. with and had an affair with. George and Harrison then Ringo's fell like, in love with every fucking woman he came across. He sure And then did. Eric Clapton stole all of them. Oh, he's such a piece of shit. He really um, is. You said the thing about the girls hyperventilating and bawling and stuff like that, right. but it was still a different thing. It was still, there was still a level of innocence of the time. It wasn't like it is now where, well, bring seven of them backstage after. It wasn't like that. It was, don't know that. considering that they were rushed off every stage That's they were true. ever on yeah. and they, I just don't think it was like that. We're jumping ahead. We haven't even fucking... I know I said no foreplay, but we can at least... That's what she said. Yeah. I'll save a couple more of those types of questions for the for the after party, we'll say. <laughs> Just a reminder to people, by the way, yes, we have talked about the Beatles once before. We talked about their upbringing. We talked about how they got together. We're not documenting this. We can't because we don't have the time. Because if you are really going to do something like that for the Beatles, it'd be a full-time job right. and then some... And also, it's been done 7 million times. Yes. Black and white screen, Liverpool. <laughs> if you're researching Beatles, for example, you go on YouTube or Amazon Prime, there's 70 Beatles documentaries. Yeah. And they all start the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And you guys don't want to hear that anyway. You guys want to hear us talk about why we fucking like the Beatles so that you can have a drink and you can say, yes. Of course. That's why we fucking like yeah. the Beatles too. But that's why my mom fucking hates the Beatles because yeah. she couldn't get away from them when she was a little kid. Yeah. I get that. But our generation's unique because it's a weird thing to be able to kind of discover not I don't want to say discover the Beatles by yourself because at some point you do learn who the Beatles are and that right. they're one of the most important bands in history. But I'm the one that fucking picked out a couple Beatles albums and said, I'm just going to check this out and yeah. put them on and listen to them and said, holy fucking shit. Mm -hmm. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. It's a cool thing for our generation to be able to, you know, rediscover. The guy at work gave a lecture on the Beatles. And so while he lectured, he also was like, oh, well, and this is a song and this is a song and let's play a Ringo song and let's play a George song. And as he was playing the guitar, there are these two girls that are in their early to mid twenties that were just like, this is my favorite song. I love this. And it was like, they had been not playing for 20 years before these girls were born. It's this beautiful thing because it's this music that transcends time. I, I will rarely say that I think I'm a good parent, but... <laughs> You're a good parent. I will say this. About a year or so ago, my daughter, and she's repeated it many times now, we were in the car and I don't even remember who was playing, but she was like, Dad, guess Caroline, she goes... So many bands sound like the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I am amazed. I'm an amazing parent. Yeah. That sentence alone, <laughs> that sentence alone from my daughter tells me that I'm an amazing parent. She's going to be a Beatles She's fan, be so a massive smart. Beatles fan her whole life. Well, She's already smart, but pain in the ass. <laughs> With Kids are the, the worst. Beatles. It's the second episode. We're talking about 1964 and 1964 only. Mm -hmm. I know this might be a little, I don't want to say confusing, a little, why did you pick this? If you're wondering that, you're an idiot. <laughs> I understand that in the first episode, a lot of the stuff that we talked about happened in 1964. But... If you are talking about the Beatles, making an hour total episode on 1964 is necessary. There's a lot that happened in 1964. <laughs> There's, There's a, a lot, lot to cover. So that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about 64. I'm excited. It makes me excited to keep doing this and talk about it next year. Yeah. We can't talk about 1964 yet. We got to talk about the most important part of the night. Rachel, what are you drinking tonight? I'm glad you started with me because... Your drinks look better than my drinks. My drink is actually very embarrassing. 
That's a, that is not embarrassing. You don't know why That's this a, is embarrassing. Do you know who bought Henry Weinhardt's who private bought, reserve? Who bought this beer? Uh, last December. Yep. You, that would be me. You bought this beer last December. Damn. So I'm just drinking a good old brewed in Oregon Henry Weinhardt private reserve. How many are left? This is the last one. It's more embarrassing for Trevor than it is you. We don't really buy a lot of beer. We don't drink in the house. We drink outside the house. He's like in Rodlers and Scotch Ale and stuff like that. Rattlers? Rattlers? Mm-hmm. Like at night? <laughs> Rattlers are a brunch drink. Come on, Trev. <laughs> Rachel. David, what are you drinking? Switch spots. Very into tequila lately. Is that a mark? I am drinking a Reposado Margarita. Mm. Yes. It's Reposado. I did not use Cointro this time. The liquor store had a different orange liqueur that I tried. It's pretty good. Agave syrup, lime. It is a cinnamon and salt. Ooh, I was wondering because it looked a little tahini. I figured Reposado, try some cinnamon mm. uh, because because it's fall. Rachel, if you are ever asked, and I doubt you will, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> who knows? If you are ever asked to take a shot of Reposado, mm-hmm. ask for orange and cinnamon. Okay, greatest thing in the world. Uh, very, very good. This is really, really good. Uh, I also have a beer, a water and Red Bull. I'm ready to go. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. We are back. The Beatles in 1964. They actually had the same members at yeah, this they did. point. John, George, Paul, and Ringo. And it would be for a while. Do we want to timeline this bitch? Do we want to go? How do we want to do this? Um. To all the stuff that happened in January, we already talked about. We talked about Please Please Me. We talked about introducing the Beatles. We talked about Meet the Beatles. Yeah. We talked about the fact that they did the German recordings, you know, Come Get Me Dinah Hunt. Yeah. All of that happened in fucking January of 1964. Yeah. That's ridiculous. We can go to the U.S. tour, February. Yeah, it starts in February. February of 64, the Beatles arrive in where? JFK? Arrive JFK. at JFK. The newly new- named JFK. Uh, well, that makes sense. Yep. You know what's weird? You know where I was today? JFK? JFK Airport. Wait, today? I was. Oh, yeah, I you came in from... back from Maine today. That's right. Did you have some lobster? I didn't have time. I'd never been to Maine. Um, reminds me a lot of the Oregon coast. Oh, okay. Yeah. What were you doing in Maine? Uh, work. Personal question? Okay. That's Maine, that's do. a weird one for work, isn't it? Uh, New England Veterinary Conference. You do vet stuff? When are you going to quit? Sorry. Um, when you start your OnlyFans, we make some fucking money. <laughs> have you seen uh, my feet? When... They're very nice. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with feet? Do you are you like a not feet guy? No, I'm not a not feet guy. You're just I'm not just, a feet guy. You know what I am? I'm not a person that likes feet guy. <laughs> Those people that like the feet, I don't like them. That's fair. But you know, I feel bad for feet. They do all the fucking work. Yeah. And people are like, ew, your feet. Don't take your socks off. That's true. Off. People have their things though. 1964 tour. Kind of considered the first major rock and roll concert tour in the history of pop music, right? Yes, sure was. Yeah. And it was intense, too. I'm surprised they knew how to do it and do it so well. Ooh, I like... To be honest. Why do you say that? Well, because, I mean, we've talked about the first couple albums that were put together, and people didn't really know what they were doing. They just kind of threw shit together. But the planning of uh, the American tour and the European tour, the world tour, I guess it wasn't just Europe, but seemed very streamlined and very impressive. Yeah, so. completely agree. The North American tour was uh, 32 shows. I think in this episode, maybe we should take a drink every time we say that the Beatles set the blueprint mm-hmm. for what was going to happen for the next 50 years. I was just going to say, I feel like we should play a drinking game because I have no responsibilities. Let's fucking do this drinking game so it has to be italian, to be italian. why are you she's doing the so we, she's doing the what is so we that take a drink of amaretto and then we shove some pasta in our face it's an italian it's an italian thing. thing i get it it took me a second you got there i think i have throat cancer i have this weirdest throat pain but no you're absolutely right the beatles they kind of set the blueprint for a u.s tour Woo-hoo. 
It's going to be fun. We'll go there first. 32 shows. They land in JFK. Yep. The absurdity. You've all seen the videos, the shows, the thousands of people that are waiting for them at the airports. Yes. Screaming and wailing and gnashing teeth. Crazy shit, right? Yes. I mean, I guess we're post 9-11. So the idea of that many teenagers screaming allowed to be that we close to can't get to away from 9-11 on this on goddamn podcast. Can we? <laughs> Never forget, I, I, David. I was just going to um, say, I, don't, I keep forgetting why we keep talking about it. But, uh. Can't not remember. It, it, it's insane watching the footage of how close these girls were allowed to get. Right? To these four guys. And how much they're fucking trampling each other. Like, Mm -hmm. how did people not die in every single fucking concert? I did find a couple numbers of, like, girls that got sent to the hospital, but I found... No deaths. No fatalities. I mean, there maybe there was one that got shoved under the rug or something. Yeah, by Big Beetle. (laughs) I'm glad you got that. That was a give or take. That could have gone bad. Impressive, actually. I guess because it's all women, so there's women on top. Well, that's just sexist. Wait, what? (laughs) What was that sentence you were about to say? It doesn't matter, David. February, they land in JFK, and then two days later, they're on the Ed Sullivan Show. Right. And while this is not the first time, that this isn't even the first time they've been on a show in America... Right. The Ed Sullivan show is the, oh, look, the Beatles are the biggest thing that have right. ever happened. Anywhere. So in January, they were on Jack Parr and there were about 30 million viewers for their Ed Sullivan premiere. There were 73 million viewers, which was about two fifths of the American population, which is insane because it's not even two fiths of America watched that at one point it's they were all watching it at the exact, exact same, same time because this is before TiVo and streaming and Super all that Bowls you had to watch and... it when you watched it so to think 73 million people all at the same time were like you know should you watch the Beatles right fucking now Man, that yeah. is insane that is exposure that's yeah all the shows sold out all these venues had been accustomed to 1,000 5,000 8,000 people's right people attendance and these guys are bringing in but even basis i mean those numbers the basis back of then, the point was that all of a sudden these venues were dealing with quadruple the numbers that they had ever had to deal with before right 728 seats at the ed sullivan show they got over fifty-two thousand calls of people requesting yeah tickets just to go to the fucking thing this leads us to kind of into the Beatlemania talk. There had never been anything like it. There's never been anything like it since the, you know, Rachel made kind of a joke, but it's, it's earnest. I think the closest thing we've seen happened this year with the Eras tour. Right. But just to put it in perspective, this is, I mean, we're talking like secretariat at the Belmont where this is, that is such a fucking terrible metaphor that nobody's going to understand the percentages and the money seen at the time in comparison to what had been yeah there will never be anything even close to this unless some fucking weird band comes and hundreds of millions of people come to these concerts nobody'd ever seen anything even close to this sort of shit like you said that i said uh closest thing that we've seen is the eras tour and how insane that is and how everything's selling out so quickly and there's so much demand like there was for the Ed Sullivan show. Mm -hmm. The fact that this happened when your modes of information were Mm. a newspaper, the radio and TV. And again, we're talking about before things were recorded, you're having to hear something live and then having to hear it from your friends. There's not a phone in front of you with all of the information in the entire world. All of these numbers were because of word of mouth and because of radio and because of TV. Yeah. That is insane. It really is. Your three television stations and your yeah. 10 radio stations. Yeah. There's also, because of what you were talking about with the, the radio and the TV and the, the lack of the communication that we have now, there was a lot less of a cultural interaction between Britain and America. Right. British movies weren't in the US. Mm-hmm. There wasn't, you know, there was nothing like that going on. What's fucking hilarious is the people trying to put this on and campaigning the airlines and things like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't even think that this was necessarily financially justifiable. No, a lot of Americans that had heard of the Beatles, grown-ups, if you will, thought that it was a ridiculous idea to bring the Beatles over. They they weren't going to be anything. It created this 
interesting dynamic where this very clean cut, good looking group of men was now this rebellion for children because their parents thought they were worth nothing. And yeah, so the kids kind of went after it of like, no, they totally are. Let's listen to this. And it grew into this monster that everybody wanted to hear the Beatles. I'm just going to do it because I'm going to make us drink. This paved the way, gave the blueprint for musical artists because one of the things that the Beatles did, I'm going to take a drink and we'll get to somebody that they met in the U.S. that led to this. Mm -hmm. They refused to perform at segregated concerts. Yes. I think what was the first one? Jackson, like uh, Florida. Yes. Jacksonville, the Gator Bowl. They refused to play and the officials in Florida relented because they knew the amount of income that they were dropping. Yeah. This is a big fucking deal. This is 64 that they're doing this. That's amazing. Segregation in the States is, you know, 1963. So this is very shortly after, uh, before segregation became illegal. And so people were- The U.S. gets a, a justifiably bad rep, but- Britain was no fucking, Britain has not treated non-white people well Sure. Uh, in, the, in the same way either. Yeah. And in some cases, much later than the U.S. Some cases very recently, actually. Yeah. Regardless, these guys were ahead of the game at the time, politically. You know who else didn't think that this tour was going to go well? Who's that, David? The Beatles. That's true. John they were Lennon, like, ooh, fingers crossed. John Lennon's quote, which is one of my favorite quotes of all time. Yeah. Why would we think that we could be big when they have little Richard over there? That's right. That's so good. Yeah. That's such a good line. Elvis and Chuck Berry and little Richard, right. they are feeling like they're coming into this place that they, I'm trying so hard not to do sports references, <laughs> but it's so hard. Going into the fucking symphony, auditioning against people that have been in the first and second chairs and just thinking. Sure. Their music, obviously, at this time was insanely good already. Yes. A couple albums in. But it's crazy to think about how these guys thought about themselves and how they viewed themselves in the world of music. One of the many things to me that makes them so likable. Yes. Much as they might have been pricks for this and pricks for that or whatever, because when you're the most famous people of all time, how are you not going to be? But they were always so respectful and in awe of the artists that they learned from. Do we want to get into the label issues? Do we care about the label issues? Kind of up to you if you want. I just to. don't. I don't think people give a shit. Or you already know. It's you know there was I mean, there was issues of... with introducing the Beatles versus Meet the Beatles. There was this weird. They were trying right. to figure out how to make it sell in America, and then the very stipi- stereotypical thing happened with VGA Records coming out with introducing the Beatles. And then Capital just hanging by the wayside. And then once they realize the Beatles are going to be a thing, then saying, oh, it's ours, it's ours, it's ours. Uh-huh. Basically suing VJ Records anytime they'd come out with something and VJ saying, fuck it, what do we have to lose? We're just going to keep coming out. Right. It's, I don't know. Do we need to say more about it? No. Good. I don't care about label stuff. Surprise, surprise, the labels fucking suck. Yeah. We're deep in the heart of Beatlemania. During the Beatles' first visit to the States, Americans bought more than 2 million Beatles records and more than $2.5 million worth of Beatles-related goods. I wish, and it'd be... In nine days. It'd be so... (laughs) The Beatles say, fuck America, we're done, and they go to the world. It's not the whole world. It's 30 shows and Hong Kong and Australia and other places, England. Denmark, Netherlands, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand. I got most of those. And then England, Sweden. One of the things that I wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into now, which actually happened on the U.S. tour part of it, was when the Beatles meet Bob Dylan. Yes. Who Rachel seems very excited about this. Bobby. Uh, August 28th, 1964. Mm-hmm. With the 60s being possibly the most prolific musical explosion in America, these were the two most prolific artists. Them meeting, it brought two amazing things. It brought Bob Dylan telling them, that you are the greatest band that's ever going to be. You need to start thinking bigger. Mm-hmm. And then he also handed them marijuana and said, hey, smoke this. 
Right. Everything changed. So apparently they tried, the Beatles tried to hand him some amphetamines and he's like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Dylan said, no, I prefer cheap wine. And then he said, here, have some marijuana. And they had all had a little bit before Ringo. Yeah. Being Ringo, didn't understand how to smoke joints with people, apparently. Bob hands him a joint. He smokes the entire thing. Like a cigarette. Like a cigarette. And so then they just get really high and start talking about music. I don't want to talk down, but just so people understand, those of you that that aren't in the super know of the 60s, this is prime Dylan. This is, he's just coming off the back of Free Will and Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. Times there are a change in, I don't want to say at his peak because he was at his peak for a long time, but this is peak 60s, holy shit, this guy is saying things that we need to hear. He was really setting the blueprint for the 60s. He was so forward thinking. You might even say he set the blueprint for what the Beatles would become for the next four years. 100%. When you listen to Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, parts of the later 60s, in the early 60s when that was released, and you can hear a lot of his influence in the Beatles' later music. That's what the 60s became, was that vibe, that free-thinking, damn the man, save the empire. (laughs) It's an important thing to touch on because Bob Dylan... Like we just said, the Beatles talk a lot about their influences and how much they love all of these artists. But the impact that Bob Dylan had on the Beatles led to four years of songs Mm -hmm. that we might not have had. And while they were already this whole not playing anywhere that segregated and that sort of thing, that was before they met Bob Dylan. Right. That wasn't... Because of, right. you know, Bob Dylan didn't meet him and be like, hey, you know what you need to do? It wasn't like mm-hmm. that. I think Bob Dylan saw that in them, saw their power, mm-hmm. told them, your music's incredible. You guys are a perfect band. If you kind of go this route, you're going to write insane shit. I do have a Dylan quote recalling that meeting. I just kept it to myself. I really dug them. Everybody else thought they were for the teeny boppers, that they were going to pass right away. But it was obvious to me that they had staying power. He could see in them that they were actual musicians. They weren't just another boy band that wasn't playing real music. Because he was a real musician and he could see the complexity. You know, when you're a real musician, especially back then, which like like we said, there's no social media, which like, oh, look at this guitar riff. When you're going across a song like I Want to Hold Your Hand, mm-hmm. if you're a musician, you're catching on to the complexities. Right. There's writing genius there that somebody like Bob Dylan is going to notice. You did this, the same thing with NSYNC and New Kids on the Block, just have them all prettied up and dressed the same, and you're not paying attention to the music a lot of the time. The Beatles, there was that visual that looks like every other boy band. Like they were very clean cut, subjectively longer hair, but still very clean cut looking, wearing suits. And I did find a quote that was talking, it was one of John's friends had said, I can't believe they're dressing like that. They look like idiots. Like Dylan saw past all that. If you close your eyes, you can hear that they are actually amazing musicians and they're not just this thing that women scream at. Let's not bring in sync or whatever into this. They're coming back. They're making a comeback. Do you give a shit? Why would you give a shit? (laughs) Not when we're talking about the Beatles. I don't care. Do you you care though? Like in your other life? (laughs) Maybe a little. Rachel, we might, we might need to talk about this. Please don't break up with me. This is, this might be a problem. It's fine. Dylan though, right? Yeah. Okay. David. Um, look, I don't need your judgment. You do, though. No. It's in sync. Like, what are we doing I'm sure here? there's stuff What's... you do in your private life that is eye-rolly, too. Not that eye-rolly. But there is. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles do another world tour, right. I'm not going to be like, oh, fuck, they're back. Yay. What, like, what are we doing here? Here's the thing. I feel like there are certain bands and groups that get a resurgence. Like, I went to go see Elton John a couple years ago. And where, what? I'm just waiting for the comparison of Elton John and NSYNC to... That's the thing. Elton John didn't really take a huge enough break to get shitty. He's just amazing. He's always been amazing. He will always be amazing just because of who he is. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are certain musicians 
that if they stop working for a little while, get kind of shitty. So you're saying that the reason NSYNC is bad is because they haven't played in a long time? I am saying I don't think that they are were strong enough and are strong enough to be good if they came back, went back together and did anything. I just don't, I don't understand what we're doing here. I don't, uh, <laughs> this has gotten so far off track. Cause I'm trying to have an intervention and it's not working. I'm not good at interventions, which is weird. Uh, Cause you're kind of an asshole. Look, so I feel like you should be better. You should just tell me I'm wrong. The in-sync thing is just worrisome. Is it though? It's, Cause I admitted they were not really that good and would probably be, exponentially worse but you very clearly at the beginning of it like your eyes lit up you very clearly are intrigued by this insane that's thing. fair you are very clearly into it there's a little bit of excitement of like your childhood boyfriends like getting back together and singing a song by this age you're supposed to realize that vanilla ice was a fucking phony douchebag okay first of all Vanilla Ice and NSYNC are very different are they yeah I feel like Vanilla Ice knew how campy and bad he was. And this is an argument for NSYNC? It's just against <laughs> Vanilla Ice, I guess. I'm just against putting them in the same category. Look, we've talked enough about NSYNC. Let's cut all of this on out. On this episode. None of we've that got, needs oh, to I'm be. Gonna. Okay, good. Where were we? We're at a break. Uh, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll be here. Right. I wanna be a Let's talk some more Beatles. Let's talk. Might as well. Hard Day's Night. Mm -hmm. The album. Let's talk the movie. Because it all came out in 64, my friends. So Ringo Starr, the Yogi Berra of music. This is just one of his weird little quips. Mentions at some point, it's a hard day's night. And everybody's like, hey, I love that. Let's make that a thing. And they make it an album. They make it a movie. Mm -hmm. Let's go with the movie since the album was made for the movie. Yeah. Which is just a hilarious. Why can't I think of the style of comedy? The Bobby British frailing door gag style shit. I can't think of the name of the, yes. the type of comedy. Slapstick? Um, I mean, yeah. I feel like there's kind a of? specific name for the old school British slapstick. Had you ever watched the movie before? I did watch the first like... 20 minutes of it last year thinking that it might help my studying it did not help my studying because it was not any of the because we didn't talk about it we didn't talk about it and it gave me no information really about them as people well a little bit about the personalities i guess but not like facts and figures okay so so you did watch it this time i correct? did and it's fabulous it's very cute it's very family friendly and i think <laughs> it was an ingenious way to help sell albums yeah ingenious because you have almost every single song on the album integrated into that you have girls going to watch this movie kids teenagers going to watch this movie loving the music Loving them as people because they come off very charming, very funny. There's a joke every couple seconds. Yep. And they want more of it, so they buy the album. So they go to the movie, they buy the album, everybody wins. It's very, we're, we're young and dry and quirky. Mm -hmm. It's a great movie. It's it's so absolutely silly. Yeah. And it was so funny to rewatch and, and be happy reminding myself of the shit that I loved so long ago. I love uh, Bob Stanley has a great quote and it kind of captures the Beatles early career appeal. Uh, if you had to explain the Beatles impact to a stranger, you'd play them the soundtrack to a hard day's night. The songs conceived in a hotel room in a spare couple of weeks between Upending the British class system and conquering America were full of bite and speed. There was adventure, knowingness, love, and abundant charm. Yes, that is a very good quote. And there's also just some really funny fucking terrible acting in the best way. Yeah. The very beginning where they're in the cab with Paul's grandpa. <laughs> Like Ringo's first line, they're like, I don't know if he can spell. And then I'm not going to say it. Watch that scene. Watch Ringo's first line and then forces a laugh at his own line. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in yes. my life. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't like you? Yeah. Did you know, because I didn't until I, I mean, I knew it's the Beatles. 
So I knew yes. that it was the beginning of something. What I really didn't understand until researching was how much this really set the blueprint Cheers. for essentially music videos moving forward. Up until this point, music recorded was just, hey, here's this band. Right. Here's them playing. Here we go. And then Hard Day's Night was the first thing where they're like, you know what we're going to do? Yes. We're going to do close-ups of him strumming. And then we're going to do, we're going to cut to this. And then they're going to be in the cabin of the train with a couple girls sitting there listening. And this was the start. Right. You're welcome, MTV, and everything that happened over the next 70 years. So outside of that, because I actually noticed a lot of times they were doing extreme close-ups on people's faces. I mean, that's a bit much. You don't need to get that close. It also set the standard for subsequent films. Quick cutting, handheld cameras. Why did you drink? You didn't even fucking say the right sentence for Christ's sake. Can I sake. just drink to drink, David? I'm just trying to have a good time on a Friday night with my friend. Blueprint. Blueprint. Rachel. Okay, we did a blueprint. You have moving targets. You have the quickly intercut snatches of dialogue and the music to the cutting the camera to the music that wasn't seen before this movie. It's literally a style of film that yes, this started. It was spectacular. I was at a very busy work thing this week and it sucked. I had one night where I just had to decompress and have a couple drinks. I don't know why, but I watched for the first time midsummer yes. midsummer yeah which is incredible yeah it's, it's such a, a good film. movie but it fucked me up incredibly i heard that i heard this is the most fucked up movie you will ever watch in your entire life just be prepared and i heard it so many times that i was expecting more somehow it didn't fuck me up in a like fuck with you no, kind of film. it didn't fuck me up in a dark depressing sort of way it fucked me up in a like mm -hmm. what do i think of this Some weird stuff there was, yeah. I found a, a meme afterwards that was like, people in Sweden think that Midsommar is a comedy. <laughs> and, I, and what's funny is I was like, you know what? Maybe. It kind of is. Oh. But anyway, so right after that, I watched Hard Day's Night. That's a and good I felt way to great. come down from Midsommar. It's a wonderful movie. If you haven't seen it, you know, see it. Yeah. Because you get to watch the Beatles. Oh, I thought you were talking about Midsummer. Let's talk about Midsummer. It's a great film. You should watch it. You know what's funny about Midsummer is mostly it's Ringo and George. There's not so much. There's not a lot of Paul, Paul. and Lennon. There's a little bit more of Lennon than Paul. There's barely any Paul at all. But I feel like Ringo. I mean, they all did really good, like deadpan stupid jokes the entire way through but i feel like 60s ringo is so likable he's so likable and i feel like so many people he, he was such an easy target talking about his big nose or how he was the least popular yeah. so he didn't get any fan mail you make the rhythm but they don't pay any attention to you yeah and, you know i'm gonna live my life and then he go out and take i'm gonna go take pictures photos <laughs> yeah this is really living let's talk about the music let's talk about the quote-unquote soundtrack yeah for a hard day's night, which was written in eight days, which is just fucking insane. That's crazy. The title track written in one night by the John Lennon. John Lennon was really doing the heavy lifting at this point. Yeah. I, he was just on it. He just knew how to fucking write a song at this point. Yeah. And there are songs on here that Paul did that were great, but hard day's night, John Lennon really kicked ass. Except for one of the bigger songs, Can't Buy Me Love. Let's see, John Lennon quote, that's Paul's completely. Maybe I had something to do with the chorus, but I don't know. I always consider it his song. I thought it was funny that they said, can't buy me love, but an album or two ago, they said, I want money. Well, what I would guess is John Lennon was like, you know what song we need to steal is I want money, which yeah. is ironic. And then Paul McCartney was like, uh, can't buy me love. Sure. We're not good at this. This is horrible. At least it'll be really long and you can cut it down. <laughs> That's what she said. Have you ever heard Can't Buy Me Love? I had heard Can't Buy Me Love before listening to this album. Uh, did you enjoy it? I mean, I'd heard it about 40, 45 million times before. Fun fact. Did you know, is it grotty? Disgusting? Grody? No, G-R-O-T-T-Y, grotty. Is that a word? Is it like a British slang word? 
But yes, that is informal yeah. British, unpleasant and poor quality. Did you know George Harrison made that word up in Hard Day's Night? No. George Harrison, George Harrison motherfuckers. motherfuckers. Was there anything on here that as a not so obsessed Beatles person that you really loved or caught what i found in this album that i really loved there were a couple songs if i fell that really showed their vocal talent and i was really impressed with that song there were also quite a few songs that kind of foreshadowed the later 60s sound that they were gonna have and you have lennon doing that kind of dirty yeah lennon yeah it's not a scream but he's he's got that yeah i love dirty lennon okay so now switching You've got songs like Can't Buy Me Love. You've got songs like A Hard Day's Night. Do any of these songs kick your ass? Yeah. This album really starts to show their multi-dimensional talent. It's not this one sound. You're seeing their talent as musicians and you're seeing all the different directions they could go and they do end up going. It's interesting because there's so many different sounds going on. But it's so well put together. I would comfortably say one of my five favorite guitar solos of all time is on this album. And where? Hard Day's Night. One of your five favorite bow, ever? Bow, da, da, dum, even just the first fucking strum it's also got george martin playing the piano right. by the way george martin is on piano in hard day's night he's kind of countering everything george is doing which is brilliant and that george solo which is that 12 string rickenbacker right that just sounds so unbelievable it's a perfect solo to me it's succinct it's simple it shreds it's seven seconds long it's everything that I want in a musician. Uh, it's perfection. There's a lot that I'm finding about the Beatles the more I study them, especially lyrically, where it seems so simple, but it's not. In the future, like it gets so much better, which is incredible to think because there's so much good here. Really look at it and really dissect it and really go listen to this guitar solo. No, no, no. Think about those lyrics. Think about how that phrase was written. Yes, it is the most simple words in the, it's an eighth grade level of words, but it's so complex yeah. the way that they have put them together. You listen to Hard Day's Night, it sounds very typical. Yeah. Pop, Beatles. It's not. George Martin, he's playing an F with, but it's not an F, it's an F. ADD9. It's an F with a G on top, basically. McCartney's just playing a D. It's so simple. And it's one of those things that like Dave Grohl once said, this guy's talking to Dave Grohl, who's clearly this musical theory douche that's like, you know, when you play this song and you're doing the fifth augmented and you're and you go into the seventh, and Dave Grohl's like, What I it, right. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. This sounded rad, so I played it. <laughs> That's what I think the Beatles did. Yeah. And they were just so fucking brilliant in their time that it just worked. They were so talented that they just kind of fell into this stuff, not purposefully going, let's make these super complex chords because we will sound very smart, but just rather these things sound really good together. So I'm going to do it this way. John Lennon and Paul McCartney's, I'm sure we talked about it in the last episode, but their voices together yeah they are the most perfect voices you're going to hear together right it doesn't just happen right or it does just happen it did just, it just happen. happen it did just it happens happen. um where the where are you oh we're talking about midsummer fine film yes that was my first florence Pugh movie beatles for sale we're getting to the very end of 1964 mm -hmm. and they come out with beatles for sale rachel had you heard any songs off of Beatles for Sale? I had heard rock and roll music. <laughs> the ones they didn't write. Yes, I heard the one song they did. Yeah. I maybe had but heard... You had, oh, Kansas City. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, you'd heard Eight Days a Week. Oh, that's true. I know. That's why I said it. <sighs> David, all week long, I was going to people and humming. I was like, hey, what song is this? And I hummed it. And they're like, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know it. I know it. And I couldn't think of the song. And I couldn't think of the words of the song. It's something about a roller coaster. It's Every Day by Buddy Holly. That's what the song is. And that's why I think I've heard it. Why didn't you ask me? Well, because here's the thing. 
sometimes when I ask you things, you're like, are you finally fucking studying? And this was earlier in the week. And so I thought he's going to I would have been impressed. I almost, <laughs> I should have called you, you and hummed to you. Words of love is on here. Honey, don't. They didn't write one, two, three, four, five, six yeah. of these songs. And there's, you know, rock really and roll music. This album. That's what I'm saying. This is kind of another one of those second album sort of things, especially it's not the Beatles fault. Just so nobody fucking writes me and complains. Yes. Everybody was doing this back then. And the Beatles were the ones that, hey, write your own shit. Right. Come out with your own album. The Beatles were the ones right. that started that. So, um, and also you have the irony of the name of the album is Beatles for Sale. Like it's just a product. Good it's point. Not like actual good written music. I don't like the version of Kansas City on here. Yeah, I, Kansas City is one of my favorite blues songs of all time, and it's kind of fucked up in some medley that I don't like. Beatles for Sale is Beatles for Sale, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because. There's other things to talk about. Yeah, there are. Hey, what, Rachel? David, let's let's do some awards and categories. Ugh, let's do it. Act excited. That's what she said. Yay! All right, awards and categories. John Prine Award. Rachel, any lyrics that stick out that you think, my God, so good. So très bien. Last year, I said. She's just 17, if you know what I mean. And those were just like the best li Beatles lyrics ever written. So it was kind of hard to like pull that again. That's what she said. I said, my tears are falling like rain from the sky. Is it for her or myself that I cry? The stupid analogy of rain and tears and that everybody uses all the time. But then following it up with an introspective that makes you question everything before. Oh, I like that. I'm That's good. like I said before, there's so many lyrics that those are so simple, but the way that they're arranged is very good. I got something to say that might cause you pain. If I catch you talking to that boy again, I'm going to let you down and leave you flat. <laughs> you can't do that by the Beatles by John Lennon is now notorious for being a, what do we say? Controlling. God forbid we keep our women in check. <laughs> uh, no, but my real answer is, and so my love, I must go. And though I lose a friend, in the end, you will know. Do I want to say this now? Don't blow your load. She says that so much. Just <laughs> uh, <laughs> think about baseball. <laughs> it's one of the first great Beatle lyrics to me. I think this is when they really started to, it wasn't some, we got to sit down and write lovey lyrics. And Beatles for Sale, it's not a lot of the, oh, my girl, oh, you know, there's a lot of mm -hmm. different stuff on there. And yeah. this was the intro to that. The Greta Van Fleet Most Obvious Influence Award, Rachel. The Monkees. And even this film influencing the Monkees TV show and all that garbagey slapstick stuff that came after it. There's yeah. so much that they, I mean, they were just a band mocking everyone and music. We should do a monkeys show. Nope. Nope. I've got three. Oh, okay. George Harrison made the 12 string guitar a thing. He really set the blueprint for that. One of the bigger bands that got massive in the late 60s, The Birds, basically yeah. their whole structure was this album, was uh, Hard Day's Night. Sure. The Hard Day's Night movie, I had no idea how influential it was. They really yeah. paved the way for fucking music videos, basically. That movie, it was given 16 weeks. They shot it in seven weeks. The entire <laughs> film, they shot in seven weeks. I mean, if you watch it. I mean, it, it's, it certainly I seems. I can see that. Yes. <laughs> the budget on it at the time was 529000 American, which in my inflation calendar calculator was... 5.2 million and it grossed the equivalent of 79 million Damn, and it was Gina. again such a simple film but it was so good and so accepted by everybody in the u.s and in the uk and it just really helped them sell albums so smart thinking smart thinking look do you have a top five favorite beatles songs <sighs> thus far i'm cutting it down right now <laughs> honorable mention you get one deal and the only reason you get one is because I had a really hard time leaving this song off. So <laughs> you I only get one because get one. I had the exact same problem as you did. Exactly. I'll Follow the Sun 
is my honorable mention because I such a good song. It's one of the first wait. Yeah. Wait, this isn't just a fucking pop group. This is going to be a real thing. I will go with my number five. You already talked about it in this episode because she was just 17. (laughs) I saw her standing there is still my number five. Rachel, what's your honorable mentions and then your fifth favorite? I'm kind of interested to see how aligned we are on these. My honorable mention is Words of Love. Oh, okay. Like I said, it it was just foreshadowing for everything. That does have that kind of Buddy Holly vibe that Simon and Garfunkel sort of. Yes. That's a good one. That's funny you say that because when I had earlier today was listening to it in the car and it went on to something I don't remember and then went on to Simon and Garfunkel after. Rachel. David. I'm pretty good at music. At least you can do one thing right. Five. I saw her standing there. Holy shit. Really? I know. That's what I. It's a great song. I'm interested to see. Okay. So what's your four? How we are. If I Fell, which I know is not on your list. No, it's not. Too slow. Too slow. Great song. Great song. Great harmonies. Mm -hmm. This really, like you said earlier, shows how well Lennon and McCartney's voices go together. They just fall into these beautiful melodies. I don't know if it's because of it or if they worked on it. But yeah, even like when George has to do his thing, Mm -hmm. he's doing it. Because this is a three-part harmony in this song. And it's it's fucking great. Mm. It really is. My number four is She Loves You. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows why I love it because it's a fucking amazing song. Because it's a banger. I will go then... To my number three, this was very, very hard. That's what she said for me to not put this at my one or two, but it is what it is. My third favorite, Hard Day's Night. Oh, okay. One of my favorite guitar solos of all time. It's an amazing song. It's short. It's sweet. It's perfect. Rachel, what is your third favorite Beatles song so far? So far, I'll follow the sun. Mad Respect. Mad respect. Mad respect. We already know why. God, it's so good. But what's your number two? She loves you. Holy shit, really? Yeah. I told you we're very aligned in these. And I'm very interested to know what your number one is. Because if it's not my number one, then we can't be friends anymore, probably. It probably isn't. I feel like it should be. I mean, we're going to find out what my number one is, but we have to go to my number two first. I I promise you, though, it won't be long until we get to my number one favorite song. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 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 That was good. Good job. That's my number two. It's it. Okay. It's right up there with She Loves You. It's a perfect pop song to me. Mm-hmm. Brings me to my number one, which I feel like if you paid attention in the last, and I think I even talked about it again on this one, I don't remember because I'm drunk. I Want to Hold Your Hand is still my favorite Beatles song. She is so disappointed in me. <laughs> you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be surprised. Songs. You picked good songs. Uh, look, I'm not mad at any of those choices. I've talked about I Want to Hold Your Hand before. It's so basic until it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to that, that, I tell you something, I think you'll understand, and it turns that minor. It's the that is good. The most ear-pleasing thing in a song maybe you've ever heard. Yeah. I Want to Hold Your Hand is still my favorite. That is fine. But Rachel. David. What's your favorite Beatles song? I like it dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Twist and shout. Okay. The Lennon voice. Exhausted, sick. Exhausted, sick. Yeah. I can't get over that. That's still my fave. I love that. But see, here's the thing, though. What's the thing? They didn't fucking write it. (sighs) Fine. Then I have a top five, and She Loves You is the top one, and Twist and Shout doesn't count. (laughs) Fine. Are you happy now? Beatles' rendition of Twist and Shout is... So good. Perfection. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. I'm not knocked. (laughs) Hey, you don't have to drink the beer, Rachel. David, I do have to drink the beer. I'm actually almost done with it, which I'm very impressed by. Okay. Hey. Hey. We did the songs, but now I got another question for you, Rachel. (sighs) At this point in time, at this point in history, 1964, who is your current favorite Beatle? Okay, this was, this got harder. Yeah. I'm falling in love now, understanding who these boys are as people and as musicians better. This so, is where I was hoping we would get yes. to. Yes. So. Very happy. The answer's John. It's still John. <laughs> it's still John Lennon. He's just 
He's just the most talented. That's it. I feel like if I was a heterosexual woman, there's no way that John Lennon would not be my favorite. Same. There's something about John Lennon that even in like Hard Day's Night, where it's the cheesiest, goofiest thing. Right. He's so fucking cool in that. That's the thing. Yeah. Even when he's in the like the bathtub doing the stupid like <laughs> uh, U-boat thing. The, yeah. He, there's something about him that's just a little more. I've got something more going on than these other guys. Yeah. He definitely has the air of cool and he still has that same funny deadpan delivery as everybody else but for some reason there's something about him that makes him more charismatic than the other boys and that's not even speaking of the fact that at this time he was writing the shit yeah he was the one writing 80 percent of the music not taking anything away from any of the other ones but he was doing 80 percent of the writing it's like you (laughs) (laughs) that's why people like you best i gotta say though at this point in time for me personally as a heterosexual male yeah i'm going ringo you love ringo fucking ringo baby hard day's night is just that's fucking 90 minutes of ringo love i like how do you not love that i did like i said getting more exposure unless it's your grandfather (laughs) ha (laughs) ha ha He it's was so good in that film. Like so good amongst the four of He's them. Beautiful. I did want to revisit with you. You had said that Ringo was doing things on the drums that nobody else was doing. Please re-explain to me what it is about Ringo Starr that is. I'm so, so glad amazing. you said that. This is going to be the part of the podcast where we are going to have music fucking nerds clapping and saying, Thank fucking God you said it. Yeah. Ringo was being who the drummer was supposed to be. The guy in the background. He's just there to keep time. Ignoring the fact that he was so perfect at keeping time. Yes. This 1964 portion, Hard Day's Night videos, watching Ringo Starr do the dirty swing hi-hat Ringo thing. This was a new thing. Yeah. People saw him playing his hi-hat It's not just this straight tap, tap, tap. It's this windshield wiper motion that he's doing. It established this whole new thing. It's a fucking Ringo swing. (laughs) To this day, if you are a drummer, a producer will say, you know what we need? We need a Ringo swing. Mm -hmm. You have a way of drumming named after you. Yeah. In 30 years when somebody is like, hey, you know what? You need to do the DL thing. (laughs) (laughs) Just be an asshole. (laughs) Is that new? Is that a new thing? Be a super hot jerk. (laughs) Rachel. Yes. Let's rank some albums. Okay. What's your least favorite Beatles album thus far? Uh, It's the same as yours. And it is Beatles for Sale. How did you know that? Because it's the worst. (laughs) There was no part of you that thought it might be the second album. No. Air 5. Good job. When you said that, when you said it's the same as yours, I really thought you were going to say the Beatles second album. No. It's because she loves you is on the Beatles second album. Mm -hmm. Fourth favorite is second album. Correct. Number three. Okay. Please please me. Agreed. But. Number two. These two albums fucking rock. But which is better? This took me a long time to figure out. Okay. But I still have a reigning champ. My number two is Hard Day's Night. Was that exact same? Mm Mm-hmm. Don't make that. (laughs) (laughs) You have to finish the drink. We have the exact same. So, so far. We're the same person. We have the exact same. Rachel, thus far, are the Beatles overrated? No. No, they're not. Go fuck yourself. They're awesome. Where do they stand in the pantheon for you at this point? I think they are probably the band in all of the music that I respect the most. Their musical talent, their evolution, their dedication to the craft. As far as my knowledge is at this point, I have to say that they are the best, most respectable band in my brain. We are achieving what we wanted to achieve. We have already turned... Rachel into a massive Beatles fan and I'm telling you just wait just wait just wait because next year we've got help coming we've got we're gonna be talking about rubber soul (sighs) Rachel's already the fan now and eventually she's gonna become psychotic like all of us and I love that's the thing why you're so smart I'm listening making me (laughs) fall in love with the Beatles you understand that my Achilles heel is rabbit holes and studying all of the things that aren't necessarily the music. And there's so much information about the Beatles. Because they just kept doing things that hadn't been done. They just kept. Right? There's so much. 
out there about them. There really is. We've got 10 more years of this. Yay! And then we'll just start over. And we'll just go we'll again. We'll just do it one more time. This was a blast. This was a great episode. I got to talk about the Beatles with Rachel. I'm ex- I'm an extremely happy person right now. Ja- what is that? Jazz fingers? Jazz um, hands, spirit fingers. Jazz hands. Sorry. I don't know why I said... T- oh, because I'm drunk. That's why. Join us next week. What do we got next week? We're already there. Can you even believe it? What did we miss this year? Oh, my That's God. Right. <laughs> Rachel, Evil, and I. 20 albums that uh, we didn't get to this year. It's a lot of albums. She's so excited. She's listened to zero of them, and she's going to be ready to go. Versecoursefirst.com, at Versecoursefirstpod. Hey, Rachel, David. you know as much shit as I give you, if I'm talking the Beatles with you, I like you at least a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Everybody, we love you. Go listen to the fucking Beatles, you morons. Good night. Good You're luck. so verbally abusive. <laughs> Truly